I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. If you need help building your online presence with podcasts, live streams or recorded video, see how I could help at educationonfire.com forward slash media. That's educationonfire.com forward slash media. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Great to be back with you again. Thank you so much for joining me. And today I'm delighted to be chatting to Grace Stevens. Now Grace, a former corporate girl, quit her VP life to pursue her dream job as a public school teacher. After 20 years in the classroom, she now focuses full-time on helping educators have a more positive teaching experience. Grace combines her signature mantra, your energy teaches more than your lesson plans, with two decades of study in behavioural therapy, positive psychology and NLP to create science-based habits for overwhelmed educators. She's the author of the best-selling Positive Mindset Habits for Teachers and the One New Habit book series. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Grace Stevens. Hi, Grace. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. Great to chat to people from around the world, which is what I love because I think there's an essential essence of what's true for everybody. And that's that kind of personal relationships, personal conversations and the reality of that we're just, you know, we're all humans kind of doing the best that we possibly can. So no matter what country we're living in and what we're trying to do, I think that's the center of where we are. So, yeah, great for great for having you here. And thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Pleasure to be here. So can we start with a kind of your sort of route? Because I think you went sort of corporate into teaching and now you've kind of used all the skills that you've you've learned in terms of being able to support people in terms of what they need in terms of surviving in the profession, which I think is, a, is an interesting kind of journey. So sort of take, take us take us through that in a, in, in a nutshell, shall we say? Okay, well, so I am what I always said was a second career teacher. Um, I used to say a midlife crisis teacher, but I started at 40 and now I'm thinking, you know, I want to live a little longer than that. So um, (laughs) I had, yeah, been really successful on the corporate ladder, just kind of fallen into that, followed the path, you know, that I thought I should have followed out of school. Um, I was in the United States, you know, the whole American dream, big house, fancy cars, um, fantastic lifestyle and um, miserable as heck. Um, was really disconnected from my life, just really felt like I didn't participate in it, super overwhelmed, exhausted, all the things. And so I made this very big decision to um, to quit the corporate world. I had two very young children at the time, so that was kind of risky. Um, but I went back to school and then I followed my passion of being a public school teacher. And for a while it was magical. It had purpose. It was fun. It came easy to me. I felt like um, I was really lucky. Maybe being a little older and raising children of my own, I felt classroom management very easy. Children just 
naturally minded me, um, which is a blessing. <laughs> and it was all going really well until, you know, it wasn't. I found myself stressed again, overwhelmed, lack of boundaries, no work-life balance, like right where I had been before, except this time making, you know, 30% of what I was making before. And um, so obviously my family was losing patience with me and I decided I couldn't change careers again and I didn't want to change careers, um, but I needed to change me and like my outlook and, and how I perceive things and take back control of creating a joyful experience for myself and my students. And so I ended up doing a deep dive in all things positive psychology, neuro-linguistic programming, cognitive behavioral therapy, just for myself really and got myself sorted and then a lot of teachers commented gosh you know especially when I taught in a small school we essentially have the same kids you know the same administrator the same parents yet my experience was very different from other teachers experience and so a lot of people would ask me about that and so in the end I ended up writing a book about it um, positive mindset habits for teachers and um, that seemed to resonate with a lot of people and then I was going along my merry way and then along came COVID and um, the teaching landscape after that changed. I did teach in the classroom after that, but I was coming up to the point where I'd always told myself I would um, retire. I said, I, I plan on being a public servant for 20 years, which I was. And then I really felt at the last minute, you know what, my impact could be infinitely more helping students if I help more teachers stay positive, reduce burnout, you know, all the things that we're seeing everywhere, right? And so um, I pivoted um, about a year ago. I left the classroom at the end of last year to helping teachers um, full time. And so I am, didn't re wasn't really a title for what I do. So I just looked at what is it that I do? I help teachers become more empowered. So I just call myself a teacher empowerment coach. Not a lot of people <laughs> really like, what is that? But it's a good conversation starter. Like, what is that? Well, as it turns out, <laughs> teachers need help, you know, just navigating all the negativity, the overwhelm, the stress, all the things, right? So that's kind of my path. It wasn't, uh, you know, it's not like I, uh, when I was a little girl, I had all my dolls on the landing and we'd play school. You know, that was kind of my dream. It was never really, um, oh, one day I want to grow up and be kind of like a, a coach. <laughs> but here we are. And I'm really, you know, pleased to do it. And I love working with teachers and um, I miss kids for sure. But um, I think, as I said, ultimately, I feel like I can impact more of them um, in my current role. And I think so, so much... Yeah, I think so much of these things really comes out of what you've learned yourself, doesn't it? Because you kind yeah. of think this has made a difference. I understand this. I'm not trying to create or recreate someone else's philosophy or whatever. This is my yeah. lived experience. I know it works for me and I just want to share it. And of course, the more people you do share it with, the more people you talk to, the more communities you're in in, in that particular world, the more you realize actually, yes, this this is at the heart of it is going to make a difference to so many people and then like I say it takes on a life of its own and it seems like it's done that in a very natural way it has and you know what has kind of surprised me is I at the beginning and I don't know why I always felt you know obviously I don't know if you can hear from my accent it's a little warped after all the years but I you know I I went to school in Europe I went through the British school system then I ended up getting my degree in various places in Europe and then I came 
to um, the United States. I've been here 35 years, but you know, my kids went through this school system and I found it was kind of a little bit different. And so I thought maybe some of these problems that teachers were facing um, were really, you know, maybe because of the American school system. But then when I started, you know, writing this book and people all over the world buying it and, and signing up to, you know, mailing list or whatever, like I've got people from five continents, <laughs> six <laughs> continents, in fact, like it seems like it's universal. It's not a uniquely um American problem that teachers are overwhelmed and stressed and I mean we have some unique challenges other countries don't have but you know the whole vibe of teachers just being worn out and giving and giving and giving like kind of lack of boundaries basically let's just say um, just um, it's kind of a, a universal thing and it's it's a mythology that's built around teaching right that it's a calling almost right oh it's a calling you can be passionate about it but it doesn't need to be your whole life and it's not productive if it is your whole life if you have no identity or time outside of teaching it doesn't make you a particularly good teacher so that's kind of what has been a little surprising to me that it is a universal issue and i think one of the the real kind of highlights of, of exactly what you're talking about there in, in terms of the calling and it's all about everyone else's children, I always find it's true at Christmas time when it's that kind of, you can't go to your own child's nativity or school play because you have to be <laughs> yeah. at work doing it for everybody else's, which is like the, the highlights of the year and the chance to kind of really showcase yeah. what we're doing. And But that comes first and that that has to be wrong in, in purely like if you can't give yourself what you need personally professionally emotionally then of course you're on a sort of a, a downward spiral really you are and i find that really you know that's kind of like this teacher guilt um that and i you know i've been there i said i when i became a parent when i became a teacher i had two young children at home and very soon after that i became a single parent and it was shocking the guilt I had that when I came home, I wasn't as patient and as present with my own kids as I needed to be and wanted to be because, you know, 38 of other people's children had worn me out, right? And um, so, yeah, I remember my daughter was graduating high school and at that time she already had a driver's license. She already drove herself to school, you know, all the things. and they had a field trip and it was, she was taking a marine biology class. It was out to some beach, whatever. And she said, mom, will you chaperone the field trip? What do I need to chaperone for? You can drive yourself and your friends, right? And um, she looked at me and she said, do you know you've never been on a field trip with me? And you know, this is your last chance. I'm a senior in high school and I felt so like gutted. I mean, she was right. Like all the Mother's Day teas that I put on for, for, for kids, but I didn't go to my son's own one. So yeah, it's like your example with nativity, like all the field trips, all the excursions, I don't know what, what you would call them there, but we call them field trips, right? Where the kids yeah. go off campus and do something fun, which is the stuff they all remember, right? And, and yeah. like, I had never been to any of her. So I was happy to report that I did, you know, get myself together, get us up and, um, and took her on that field trip and we had a great time um, and probably took way too many photos. I was compensating for all the 18 years of field trips I hadn't been on, like, mom, not another photo. But, um, yeah, it is, I mean, that is something that 
that wears on on parents especially but even if you don't have young kids at home um you know sometimes the people in our lives don't get the best of us right when we're just so exhausted um teaching is draining there's no yeah, way around absolutely. it and you sort of touched on a really important factor there that you know the education system specifically does have sort of issues which are in other businesses and other sectors but sort of are sometimes unique as well in terms of the culture as well as sort of the practical things that happen within the school so for those people that aren't able to get out of teaching or don't want to get out of teaching want to continue in that role but want to change that lifestyle and have those boundaries what's the starting point is it taking a step back is it a thought process is it getting involved in a course and getting that support that you need well, it can be a lot of things, but it always starts with mindset. And um, that's why my book, you know, is, is mindset habits. Like, yeah, there are things you can do. Of course, there are, um, you know, tools you can use to help you figure out where you're out of balance, tools you can use, um, inventory surveys I've made to figure out where you maybe have some blind spots with, with setting boundaries or whatever. So there are you know, skills that you can learn, but it does start with mindset. And the first mindset is really to believe that it can be different, that you need to believe that you can create your own narrative, that your experience doesn't need to be the same as everybody else's experience. You can make your own experience. And I managed to prove that for myself. And really to understand that, um, and it sounds like such a cliche that, you know, self-care isn't selfish, right? You can't pour from an empty cup. So I have um, a framework that most of my work falls into. It's, it's four steps. I call it the ECHO framework because, like, you know, we're teachers. We love our acronyms and what we put out comes back. Um, but the E stands for your energy. So I have a very big foundational piece is your energy teaches more than your lesson plans, right? We put so much time into, you know, organizing the classroom, organizing the curriculum. But if you show up exhausted, frustrated, resentful, you'd have done better to be half as organized in the curriculum department, which, you know, we have books for that, right? Um, and show up passionate and excited and, and having energy to support students, right? So that's the E. The C is control what you can control, right? There's so much out there. You just get dragged into the vortex of how negative it is, but focus on the things you can control. The H part of the ECHO framework is happiness can be synthesized. And that's where I spent a lot of my own work, researching, coming up with habits, practicing, um, understanding that yes, we can all have a predisposition for being, you know, a glass half full or a glass half, half empty person. But there's a lot of things that you can do, just like you can, you know, just like intelligence isn't fixed, right? The whole idea of growth mindset, neither is your happiness set point. It's not fixed. You can create new neuropathways with habits. Okay, so there's that part. And then um, the last part, the O, is, yeah, other people's experience doesn't need to be your experience. So it starts with intentionality. It starts with mindset, like the most productive thing I can do for my students, for my family, for the world, is be um, 
showing up as my best self. And the things that I need to do to do that are, yes, setting boundaries, learning, getting comfortable, saying no to all the extra things put on us, learning that, you know, there is no perfect equation for balance. There's no perfect planner out there or three-step program. Like something has to give. You can't get it all done. So what is your kind of... um, process or your plan for intentionally not doing things right how do you prioritize you can't do them all you know we have this whole um you know this whole thing like oh keep all the plates spinning or keep all the balls in the air well I look at it a more productive way than trying to keep all the balls in the air where you're gonna inevitably drop something is look at balls as either glass or rubber Right. It's the glass ones got to stay in the air. The rubber ones you can drop and they can roll away and you can pick them up later or they roll into the curb and they weren't that important anyway. And at any given time, some of those glass balls are family or some of them might be school. Right. If it's a gr- end of a grading period or, yeah, you're in charge of putting on the school play or band or whatever. Right. So having kind of giving yourself permission to let stuff go, I like to train people to have a not-to-do list, not a to-do list. Like so much gets thrown at you as a teacher. Some of it you just got to have the confidence to let it slide. <laughs> you got to have a really strong camp- compass. My compass is always how does this impact students? How does this impact students? Um, not how does this make my admin look good? How does this serve some agenda that they might have? how does this affect students and once you have that kind of compass and you've decided that for yourself then yeah it's just kind of discipline following that but i think um, the most productive thing people could do is really set an intention to have a really positive day in the classroom no matter what Um, and i have a lot of you know tips and whatever for that and once you've done that for a few days and you've proved to yourself how easy things go for you um, as opposed to when you're struggling against things then um, that's really all the knowledge you need you've got to prove it to yourself right I can tell you all the things that I did but at a certain point listening to me or reading my book's not going to change anything for anybody unless they try it for themselves and then they're going to be oh yeah wait oh yeah it is easier when I'm not annoyed at everything it is easier when I'm not reacting (laughs) Yeah, and that right? taking action like, is a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like you can't just – I had a mentor when I first started studying um, neurolinguistic programming. He's, he was a wonderful man, and he always said um, that knowledge was the booby prize of professional of personal development. Like it's just knowing it is like nothing. It's not – doesn't do anything for you. You've got to actually implement it. So – yeah, there I mean, there, there are two or three things that really struck me there. One, um, a long time ago now, someone was saying to me that the the, the work-life balance thing is a myth, like you sort of mentioned. But yeah. work, work-life harmony has a different feel. And, and I think, like yeah. you alluded to there, you know, there's going to be a time, like you say, when you've got a end-of-term reports, marking, concert, 
whatever you're in charge in, where there's a certain amount of energy that goes into that and you know it's coming and you can try and plan and like you say, some other things will just be able to do, but you're kind of a little bit more able to morph knowing where you are rather than it has to be, I've got 50% of my time at work and 50% of my time here and, and sort of how yeah. it has to look all the time. I think that's a that's a really important factor and that certainly helped me, I think, in terms of just realising this is just one of those weeks or it's one of these moments where things are going to look a little bit different and we know that's the case and we'll adjust as best we can and everyone then sort of does that slight sort of shift in their seat to make that work um and the other thing is is that we, we you know we're we're sort of cultural people you know we like to fit in and the culture yeah. within schools specifically at the minute is we can all just sit and whine about everything that's going on and all the things we'd like yeah. to change and our lack of time and energy and the system and la 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 and it's a very easy thing to sit down and you feel so much better because you've got it off your chest but every single day and so one it's quite hard to change that habit into be a different person which is what you were saying but what you have to remember is it's a beautiful thing to be able to show other people because if you're the person who's doing it differently there's going to be someone that goes but that's how I want to be or that's the conversation I want to be having today rather than let's have a, a go at the system or I'm feeling tired or whatever and so it might be a small turn to begin with in a small group of people but the more that you show that and each time you kind of bat it back no I've got my boundaries I'm going to do it like this I'm going to take this action I'm going to think of it this way I'm going to show up in a different way you're going to draw those people to you and then that culture change will bit by bit become what people are wanting to be just by you showing up authentically I guess yeah definitely so yeah I really want to touch on that but um, I do want to say I love that work-life harmony I use the word integration um, work you've got to integrate your work life into your home life right like there is no balance like I said we do people a disservice thinking they're doing it wrong oh well if you were perfect you'd get it balanced there is no balance you've got to make intentional choices um, but yes on the energy part absolutely um, and when I started you know it, it's funny I um, started this work for myself like almost 20 years ago and I didn't talk about it much because people thought it was a little woo-woo, you know, like oh, I would say I'm woo-woo adjacent, you know. So I do believe in energy and I do believe that, you know, it, you are the sum of the five people you hang with the most, right? That's kind of, um, I don't know, I think Tony Robbins said that first, but a lot, a lot of people use that, right? And if you, you're, you're kind of your lifestyle, your attitude is really a reflection of of your immediate peer group. And so sometimes, you know, we tell that to kids, right? When I do their like, you know, their little graduation when they go off to high school, you know, I always tell them like, mind who you hang with, right? If, if you <laughs> mind who you hang with, because that's kind of what's gonna happen to you, right? If you hang out with the kids smoking weed in the bathroom, that's the kid you're gonna be. If you hang out with the athletes, right? You know, so, so it, it's the same for, um, for adults too and I feel like there are so many problems in education and I'm not about toxic positivity which is just let's say the gas tank is on empty and you just put a smiley face sticker on it I mean that's not going to do anything right so I'm not one of those people who's like yeah positive vibes only you know that's that's kind of invalidating to people right there are a lot of issues so many and people need to feel validated um 
But at the same time, you don't need to get sucked into that vortex of negativity. We all know the people who drain us and the people who kind of charge us, um, charge our batteries as opposed to drain our batteries, right? There's yeah. so many times you just, you, you run into a coworker and, and then they start telling you about, oh God, and this happened and that happened. And then it's like a competition, right? Then you've got to throw in what happened in your room that was worse, right? Oh, this kid was even more ridiculous. Oh, and this parent this. And before you know it, you're all, you know, wound up, bound up, all all annoyed. Um, and yet you need to have a strategy when you run into that person who you know is just toxically negative for very good reasons probably, you know, validate like, oh, my gosh, yeah, that sounds hard. Oh, I'm sorry that's happening. And then you've got to bounce. you just got to just get out of there quickly. You know what? Hey, I hope your day turns around. Sounds like that kid was having a tough day. Hope that turns around. Like you've got to kind of minimize your exposure to it and not just, you know, the, the I call that admiring the problem, right? I mean, there is a, a point where you need to vent with, you know, a trusted person who you trust on campus. But yeah, where everybody's standing around the water cooler or the coffee pot and just complaining. Yeah, I call that admiring the problem. That's not particularly helpful to anybody um, we know the problems are there, acknowledge them, and then it's very disempowering, you know, like ask empowering questions. Given this, how can I do this? Given that, how can I do whatever? So um, so that's one thing. But I do have to say, and I, it was perhaps the, the greatest compliment I have ever had um, was I was at a conference and there was a very nice uh, speaker talking. Her name was Dr. Terry Trent. Um, she had written a book. She'd been on Oprah. and it, Just a lovely lady. And she had created some curriculum and we were going. There was, I don't know, maybe 300 teachers there going to evaluate it and whatever. So it came to lunch and um, she just walked up to me. We'd had some interaction in a small group and she said, can I sit with you and have lunch? And I said, yes. And we were sitting there and we were laughing. We were having this wonderful time. And, and she was from Ghana. And so, you know, from the outside looked like what, you know, she had a very strong accent and it didn't immediately look like, you know, what would these two people have in common? And somebody came to me and said, well, how do you know her? And I said, oh, no, I don't know her. And she was like, but you were having lunch together and you're laughing, whatever. And another coworker of mine said, oh, you don't understand. Everybody with the same energy gravitates towards her. And it was like the most beautiful thing anybody had ever said. But it's exactly what you just said. It's true. You've got to be a little revolution of one. You've got to be determined to do it differently. And then the people who are of the same mindset um, will kind of gravitate towards you, and that's how you change culture. Yeah, um, that's yeah, really, really, really great stuff. And I loved what you said about it's almost like nipping in the bud sometimes, isn't it? When yeah. someone's talking about a certain thing, and you're able just to say, "Oh, but that must mean they were like you said they were having a bad day," or "I can see yeah, this," and I can see it. that, and it really changes. It sort of kind of almost sort of puts a brick wall up that says your energy can stop there because I'm. I'm sort of I'm I'm seeing it from a different place and it's a real wake-up call I think in a really positive way because you're not demeaning what they're saying yeah. you're not trying to stop them from doing what they need to do you're just suddenly sort of putting a mirror on what they're doing and also then deflecting it or reflecting it in a slightly different way and I find that's a really powerful thing I think 
Yeah, and I think that's one of the misconceptions with boundaries, right? People think boundaries are like, oh, you're trying to change other people's behavior. Like boundaries aren't anything to do with anybody else's behavior. They're about my behavior. So my beha- my boundary is I'm not going to get sucked into your drama mm-hmm. right? unless it concerns me. And so that's a boundary I have. I want to, I, I literally, you know, empathize. I know what it's like to have a horrible day. I know what it's like when that kid is so dysregulated and you just don't even know what to do Um, or a parent's gone at you. So all of that stuff is real. It's real in the world and it's real for that person and that's their experience. So I do want to validate it and really feel empathetic. Like, you know what, that sounds really hard. You know, I hope your day turns around. But yeah, don't sit and compete. You know, it's like the staff room, right? I remember once sitting in the staff room and there was, it's usually the same, you know, the lunchroom where the teachers go, usually the same crowd of people in there, right? Some eat in their classroom, some have a different schedule. So you get pretty familiar with the cast of characters in there. And I remember there was a teacher just, it was always a competition. She had the worst day, the worst kids. She never had a positive thing to say about anybody. And it was really draining. And I really didn't want to stop going in the staff room because I had friends there and sometimes we would have fun um, before she came in, let's say. (laughs) But one day she was just going on and on and on about this kid and using their name, which is really annoying to me because I feel like you never know who's listening and maybe I'm going to have that kid at one point. I don't want to have this negative mindset about this student before they even show up to me, right? Like I want to make my own opinions about a child. Anyway, she was just going on and on and on. And I just looked at her and I said, it sounds like that kid's really upset you today. And she said, yeah. And I said, well, then why did you invite them to lunch? Wouldn't <laughs> you need a break from them, right? Wouldn't you enjoy a break from them? Like, why, you know, that's they're sitting right here at this table with us, with you com- completely, that's absorbed your whole lunch. And so I think that was kind of, um, I probably, you know, was, I think some people were like, oh, that was kind of direct. But, you know, everybody's thinking it, nobody's saying it. Like, you know, like, hey, take a break from the kid. Leave them in the classroom. Don't mentally carry them around with you. Don't take them home. Don't, you know, that's part of setting a boundary. Right? So it's about your behavior. It's not about somebody else's behavior. You can't change other people's behavior. I mean, come on now. We're all old enough to know that, right? Um, yeah. But you can change your behavior. And that's where the boundaries piece comes in. How do I set boundaries for myself as far as how much negativity? Like for me, you know, a, a deal breaker, I'm never going to sit in a staff room and let somebody say a joke about, you know, just something that's inappropriate. Right, I'm, I'm probably gonna call the person on it, um, hopefully in a kind way, but just let it know like that's not okay to say around me. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I don't appreciate that kind of thing. So how much am I gonna put up with, yes, with extra requests, I'm gonna decide how much time is um, reasonable. I mean, I'm never gonna be a teacher that says just work your contract hours. That's unrealistic, I believe, but in the United States, sure it's the same other places the average teacher works 15 hours a week overtime for free that's an insane amount that's 13 weeks a year 
that we donate to the school system. So if I can go from 15 down to five extra hours a week and make sure that those extra hours I do are things I'm passionate about, like for me, it was always going to be science or tutoring or something that involved kids. For other people, they're done with kids at the end of the day. They want to be on a curriculum committee, you know, good for them. Do the things that makes you passionate. But, um, you know, you've got to put boundaries on your space. How do I not bring work home with me, even if we do an excellent job of leaving our papers on our desk? Emotionally, that kind of student trauma, or vicarious trauma, or drama that's happened during the day, do we drag that home? Do we, you know, is that what my family sits down to at dinner? Um, you know, it's a lot of things. Um, boundary setting is about but it's like I said one of the misconceptions is that it's about oh I can't do that that's what I hear teachers tell me oh in my school district it won't fly like it, well, it's not about other people in your district it's about yourself um, and yeah. what you are intentional about yeah that that's exactly it isn't it and like you say and, and often people don't know until they know so by like say calling someone out <laughs> on what they're saying or or, yeah. or or an ongoing habit that's affecting you or affecting the people around if they don't know they don't know so like say being kind about it and doing it in the best possible way um yeah is, or even is, just is saying yeah you don't need to be like you don't need to be hostile about it sometimes i'll just say to somebody like oh i don't understand why is that funny and then, and then they'll catch themselves because they don't yeah. want to say, oh, because I'm insinuating that this, right? Yeah, so yeah. that's a delicate way of doing it. I just play dumb. Like, <laughs> oh, God, I didn't get it. Why is that funny? Um, and then people get the hint, right? So you don't have to, you know, be really known as the direct person. Um, that's not our style, right? A lot of teachers are, we're people pleasers. We're, yeah. don't, we're conflict avoidant. As a general rule, we are conflict avoidant. But I will say that this powerful kind of, I do call it mythology, this kind of culture that we've created that, um, you know, the last car out of the parking lot is perceived as the best teacher. It's not true. It's not true that the teacher who works the most hours, you know, who gives the most to her kids is on every committee and, and all these things. That doesn't necessarily make you the better teacher. And so I just really invite people to reflect too, is there a part of yourself that that needs that validation or whatever? Like, are you serving students or is that serving some kind of need that you have? And how else could you fill that need? Because it should be, again, for me, the compass always points towards students and not about their, you know, of course, their academic success, but do they feel safe in my room? Do they feel seen do they feel that i believe they can succeed at high standards do they believe that's important to me that i'll support them in that you know those uh, that's like i say it starts with setting the compass because there's yeah. a lot of stuff that we gotta let go that we gotta just yeah i'm not gonna do that and know in my heart that okay i'm point i'm focused on the right things yeah, and, and the awareness is the key, isn't it? Because like I say, yeah. knowing that and then being able to set it is true. And I'm all, I'm always ex really sort of interested, Is what was valuable about your school experience? And is there a teacher you remember? And the reason I think this is important so often is that you sort of had like these multifaceted parts of your career. Do, do the same things apply across sort of the corporate world in school and now what you're doing from that sort of coaching point of view? Or, or is there sort of a, a bit of a mix in there? No, it's, um, you know, so one of my roles in the corporate world, um, 
I was in sales and management and all these different things, but I was actually a corporate trainer and um, I loved that. I loved training. Um, I just loved it. And um, it really, funnily enough, that was like my whole path. Um, you know, I've studied so much, taken so many classes, so many seminars, so many courses, read so many books. But, you know, if it all went back down to, I remember being 24 years old, my first ever corporate meeting that I got sent away for and somebody handed me and it had only just come out it was in the really early 90s um the seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey and I remember thinking like no I wanted to learn how to sell and I want to learn how to do this and that what are, why are we talking about paradigm shifts like it was very different to me and I kept thinking how American that we're gonna think of talk about our feelings but that book you know if I just had stuck with that book it everything I needed was right there, right? Control what you can control, paradigm shifts, all those things. So anyway, in the corporate world, I, it was a lot of the same things, just um, certainly, you know, the focus on the sales numbers. Now we focus on student data, right? And I like to say, gosh, in the corporate world, you could choose who, who your customers were. Or if a widget wasn't good when you were on the production line, you could throw it out. You know, that isn't public education, right? We we take in every student who is sent to us and we need to work with them. So it is different that way. Um, but yeah, if I look at my own schooling, which was, you know, shockingly long ago, um, my favorite teacher was my third grade, uh, second grade teacher, Mrs. Brown. And she loved teaching. You could just tell we had fun. Um, she taught us poetry. She was ready to be kind of goofy. Um, she was like a, you know, kind of this very conservative looking middle-aged lady. But I remember, you know, if the sun was shining, oh, we're going to read outside. Um, she just loved reading around to kids. And I, I can still remember some poems she taught us. I mean, it was just this magical experience. And then the following year, I had um, a third grade teacher. I can't even remember her name. But I'm telling you, it was the most miserable year of my teaching career, of my, excuse me, my academic career as a child. She just didn't want to be there. It was obvious. Um, she was negative. She was grumpy. Um, I can't tell you a thing that I learned in third grade. And look, she had the same kids. We were a very small school. Same kids, same administrators, totally different experience. And so that, when I look back at that, is, you know, that... Um, your energy teaches more than your lesson plans, right? And then there is one other teacher who sticks out to me and I give her so much credit. Um, I was doing my A-levels. I know you call them something different now, right? But uh, what do you call them now? The GCSEs? Or so the... GCSEs at 16, yeah, but still A-levels at 18. Yeah, you still have to do both. Oh, 18, so the A-levels, yeah. So I was doing my A-levels and um, so you choose like just three subjects, right, for A-levels. Yeah. And I, it, we was a Catholic school. It was an all-girl Catholic school and uh, very kind of like we didn't study science. Oh, it was the 70s, right? Like, you know, girls could do biology. That was it in case we needed to be a nurse. But, you know, it was Chaucer and Shakespeare and it was very kind of stringent curriculum. And we had a couple of teachers who were not nuns and one of them was this wonderful lady, Mrs. Lang. She taught French and um, I was taking A-level French and she really took me aside. I didn't come from a particularly, um, I didn't come from a household that really had a big you know, uh, background in, you know, going to education or, or 
even finishing high school, to be honest. Um, so there was nobody kind of behind me at home saying, hey, you should go to uni, you should do this, you should do that. So she really kind of took me under her wing, was like, you're really bright. Have you ever thought of going to uni? I didn't know how to do that. And I remember she went and got me, I don't know if you still have the UCA forms, right, the forms mm -hmm. to fill out. Like she really, like there was no internet. So like you kind of had to know how to do it. She helped me with all that. But I remember her teaching us. She said, if you want to do an S level, which was something a little higher than an A level, um, I can teach you that. She taught us at lunch about four girls in the cloak room. Yeah, you know, a cloak room, like where you literally mm -hmm. hang up your coats. And we would sit there. And I remember she taught us, she had us read L'Etranger about Albert Camus, the, that, uh, the outsider, right, the stranger, I think is the translation for that. You know, it's it's existentialism. She was teaching 16-year-old girls existentialism in this really stringent kind of Catholic school where we had exposure to nowhere. And to me, I remember thinking, like, n not at the time, but now as an adult teacher, like, what a trailblazer like that woman was literally a revolutionary she knew she was going to change some lives sitting in a cloakroom during lunch which we all know now as teachers how precious our lunchtime is right with with four girls like that mm -hmm. was a quiet revolution but um it was happening and I often tell myself if she can do that yeah I can show up and smile I can show up and say no to an extra duty that is ridiculous um I can you know, every, every no is a yes to something else, right? So by saying no to some things, I'm saying yes to giving the best to myself, to my students, to my family, to um, to teaching in general by setting this example of somebody, yeah, who, who loves it and has fun. Not every day. I mean, certainly there were days I was reduced to, you know, crying under my desk at lunch. I'm not going to say I'm superhuman. We've all been there. But as a general rule, um, when that was happening, I would check myself and say, what have I not been doing that I know better, right? Um, what has my mental diet been? We're very consumed with what we put in our bodies, um, you know, physically. We know if we eat junk food and we eat really, you know, just stuff that isn't of good value, we know our physical bodies won't perform well. But what about what we put in our mind? Like that's the most fertile soil in the universe. If we're binging crime drama, true crime, and watching super, you know, negative things in the media, getting caught up in that doom news cycle, like all those things, they affect you just as much. And so when I did find myself um, feeling overwhelmed and stressed and whatever, I would just always stop and, yeah, just take personal responsibility. Like what am I not taking care of? right now for myself, um, that is stopping me from showing up in the way I want. Yeah, I love that. And that's I a hard message. I'm sorry, just to say, it's a hard message for people to hear. Like, oh, look in the yeah. mirror. Like, you know, you can't control everything else, but you can control you. Yeah, Some people absolutely. don't want to hear that. And, and also, it's that kind of, you can even get onto that kind of trail and that path and understand it. And then without a constant check-in and a constant awareness, mm -hmm. you're like, I'm in the same place again. It's only been a week or however long yeah, it happens exactly. to be. But it's that it's that continualness of kind of what's happening now, you know. And like I say, you've got all the pointers and all the signs because you're feeling what you're feeling and you're experiencing yeah. what you're experiencing. Um, but yeah, that constant check-in and that constant awareness. And that's it's great, I think, when you really start to sort of in, explore it because you kind of realise that it's always there. You know, the first thing is, 
where am I? What am I doing? How am I feeling? What am I thinking? What's going on? Um, because it becomes your friend and it becomes something which is very supportive to you. But it's so hard to when you when it's when when, when it's new and when you like you say just in a blink it's kind of feels like it's gone again but it yeah. was always there you just had to choose like you say with that responsibility yeah it's constant vigilance it's constant i gonna tell you the first time it was about i want to say maybe four or five years ago somebody had invited me to be on a podcast and i was really excited like oh where did they find me oh they found my book or whatever and it was that exact same day that yeah like at 12 30 i was literally hiding under my desk and i had the blinds closed i didn't want the kids to see me i don't want the kids coming in i just need five minutes by myself and of course like talk about imposter syndrome like oh my god somebody you know my brand as it were like it's positive <laughs> you know and i'm like hiding under the desk and just checking myself like how did we get here honey and it gets easier and shorter right like it you know i i'm in the weeds kind of a much shorter amount of time now before i check myself and say wait a minute what's going on here and i always um the thing that's really been helpful for me in so many things i i am somebody who um actually my whole life has struggled with severe anxiety and um, intermittent depression and um, had not had the words for that, right? Didn't grow up in that kind of culture where it was discussed. But one of the things that really helped me with that and with all these other things was really just taking on the role of, yeah, the observer or the scientist. When I see myself spiraling, I can feel getting tight in my chest, I try and after years of practice, I am able to do to kind of step outside of myself and be like, huh, that's curious. What's going on with that? You know, kind of taking out my self-judgment from that and just looking at it and being like, now, look, you know, this is happening. You're feeling tightness here. You were short with that person. You know, you kind of do this inventory and I, I look at myself, yeah, from a scientific perspective point of view like what let, let's investigate or maybe like a detective right if that's more you start what what's been happening recently what have you been doing what have you been thinking who have you been hanging with um what can you control here what empowering questions can you ask yeah um, right. and it gets easier but it takes constant vigilance and you know and then that's when you feel like a faker right sometimes you know sometimes when i work with people and they're like oh you talk about this stuff and then, you know, I saw you get irritated with someone yesterday. Well, yeah, I'm not saying, no, 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 I'm not saying people have to show up superhuman. We're human. Allow ourselves some grace. But when you extend grace to yourself, you know, extend grace to others. Assume, here's where it starts. You've got to assume that everybody's doing the best they can with the skills they got in the situation they find themselves in. If you can even start there, your life has already changed. Yeah, and right. you need to see you need to see all of those elements, don't you? Because, like you say, each one of those might be different in in terms yeah. of of where they are on any given day and what you can acknowledge from that point of view. Yeah, exactly. Um, what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given, or indeed, what advice would you give yourself now, maybe as a a, a younger Grace looking back? Looking back, um, I would definitely say because I do reflect on this, um, like. Uh, you know, um, I have wisdom. I appreciate that. The gifts that come with age are, you know, wisdom, perspective, patience. Um, but I wish I'd known this earlier. And I think, um, you know, a lot of it unpacking has to do with, you know, 
with my childhood and the way I was raised, whatever. But I came across a quote by Albert Einstein that really kind of encapsulated it for me. And that was the biggest decision we have to make in life is whether we think we live in a friendly or hostile universe. And that for me is the crux of it all. First, you know, like I just said, do we believe people are essentially good doing the best they can or do we not? Um, So that's going to affect your your mindset Two, it's going to be hard to believe we live in a friendly universe if what we consume like i say is the doom scrolling the zombieing out on social media the you know particularly i do notice the difference between europe and america here the 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 news cycle all the adverts it's very toxic it's all about be afraid and buy stuff so um, that's basically the only two messages you have so you know what's my mental diet but the other thing is, the beginning of that quote is the biggest decision we have to make in life is you have to decide, right? That it's a decision. It's not a function of your circumstances. Um, it's a function of a decision that you make to live in a friendly universe and then look for the evidence of that and you will find it. If you think you live in a terrible world, you'll find plenty of evidence for that. If you believe people are doing the best they can, if you believe in, you know, I used to, every time before I left my classroom, to walk to the office, I used to feel like was to walk across that playground was running the gauntlet, right? You you, you just had kids tackling you, adults coming and giving you stuff, uh, you know, running into you on the way to the bathroom and wanting to complain about something. It was like literally running the gauntlet. But before I opened the door, I would take a breath and I would say, between here and the office, I'm going to look for five things that I like and I'm going to find them. That's just what I set my intention, my radar to. And sure enough, I'd step out and I'd be like, oh, that bird is in the tree. Or, oh, look at that kid tying another kid's shoelace. Oh, look at those kids like playing happily. You're right. If you set your radar for it, you'll find it's a decision. It's not, um, it's not, oh, I was just born optimistic because I assure you I wasn't. Um, it's a decision. And so that's the advice that I would have given myself, you know, decide earlier um, and understand that it is a decision, that you're not a victim of your circumstances, that you can ask empowering questions, that even though the landscape of education right now is very challenging, the joy that you can still create in a classroom. Hey, I still read my kids every year, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, because that's what I remember Mrs. Brown reading to me. Um, and I would declare a Willy Wonka day. I would show up dressed as an Oompa Loompa. And I'm telling you, I would tell those kids, okay, convince Mr. Wonka to to produce your candy. That was the best persuasive writing I saw out of the kids all year. Like, you can still make it fun. You can still make it magical. You can still build a child up. Um, the things that really matter, you can still teach kids to love learning. Um so that's what I would have told myself that it's a decision. Yeah, so powerful, so powerful. Um, is there a resource you'd like to share? And um, this can be personal or professional, but um, anything from a podcast, a book, a video, film, song, anything? Yeah. Which um, like I said, I feel like um, you know, I've I, I've written like eight books by now. Um, I've I've done all kinds of things, but I would say, um, yeah, if if somebody has never read the um, Seven Habits of um, Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey. Hey, start there. It's everything you need. 
Um, if you want something free, if you go to my website, which is gracestevens.com, that's Stevens with a V, forward slash happy. So gracestevens.com forward slash happy. Um, there is a video training there, a little short masterclass. It's about half an hour and it's about the five habits of the least stressed, most effective teachers. And so I will teach right there. Um, it's free, um, but I teach right there about five habits you could try and um, that you could incorporate every day into your teaching that would do what we talked about, making your energy um, be the focus and how to, you know, how to share in that. Yeah, love it. And just finally, the acronym we said about acronyms, well, the acronym of FIRE is important here at Education on FIRE. And by that, we mean feedback, inspiration, resilience, in empowerment what's just the first thing that springs to mind when you're hearing that um i'm gonna say i'm gonna go back to mrs lang sitting in the cloak room um with us literally sitting between the coats in, in this dark little room um and her pulling me aside in and saying hey have you thought about going to uni and me like no never been on my radar and her going the extra mile and knowing that that was going to be a tough battle for me um as far as getting to interviews i remember her picking up a train schedule because i had to go to interview in hull and i had no idea how to get there and you know it's a different time now but you know we we had to be a little bit more resourceful back in those days um before google um and just really she pushing me and inspiring me and then like I say having her own quiet revolution um that whole you know idea of you know I can't impact every child in the world but I can make a huge difference to one or two and the ripple effect of that the ripple effect of her telling me to want more for myself and um kind of pushing me in that direction and setting that example you know, consequently, yeah, I ended up going to university in four countries um, by the time I was done. And I, you know, have been a teacher for many years. And I like to think that there has been impact in that. And so uh, that's what comes to mind. When I think about that, I, 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 th I think of, <laughs> of Mrs. Lang, what a wonderful teacher. So fantastic. What a beautiful way to finish. Uh, Grace, thank you so much for sharing all oh, those insights. You. And it's been it's been a real privilege to, to be able to chat it through. And I think, you know, so many takeaways, but also so many, so many important things for people to think about. But I think, you know, a couple of those nuggets of personal responsibility, checking in and awareness, I think is just the starting point for all of those other things that you're helping with. It's just uh, it's an amazing message. Yeah. So thank you so much indeed. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it very much. And I love your mission and I love your podcast and um, wish everybody continued success. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.